are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. We just, we just got to wake up a little bit, okay? So good morning, everybody. I started listening to James Taylor when I was in college, all right? And uh, I, I love the song, and I asked Kyle if he would try to do it for us today, and uh, you got to give it up for Kyle for pulling that off this morning. Winter, spring, summer, fall, all you got to do is call. you got a friend. I think one of the struggles that we find in this life is who do we befriend? Do you know how many people live on the planet Earth right now? Do you have any idea how many people live on the planet you are very perceptive people. I have to give you credit. The actual number is 7.4 billion people. 7.4 billion people occupy the planet with us right now. So do you have any idea how many babies are born every second? Do you know? How many babies are born every second in the world today? The number is four. Every second... Four babies are born. It even happens while you are sleeping. Every second, four babies are born. Do you know how many people die every second? Two. Every second, two people die. That means that every second we have a net grant gain in the population of two people. And in the next second, there's two more people. And in the next second, there's two more people. To the point that we are now 7.4 billion people. In 2025, we will be 8 billion people. Just before I turn 80 years old in the year of 2040, we will be 9 billion people. Now those numbers may be hard for you to grasp, and you might say, so how does it relate to our past? Here's how it relates to our past. We are going to be 9 billion people in 2040. We are 7.4 billion people now. But in 1900, guess how many people were alive on this planet? 1.5 billion people. So in the last 116 years, we have grown from 1.5 billion people to 7.4 billion people. We are going to have to get some more buggies at the grocery store. There's not going to be enough for everybody, I promise you. So... I think here's what I want to do. I want to kind of look you in the eye this morning and just ask you, so how do you view humanity? And what is your responsibility to all of the people in this world, the mass numbers of people in this world? And is it your place to care for any of those people or be concerned about those people or even more pointedly to share Jesus with any of those people? I found the heart of Jesus this week. And I found it in the Scripture in the book of Luke, chapter 10. And here's what I found in the heart of Jesus. It is never okay. Are you hearing me? It is never, it is never okay for a follower of Jesus to leave a half-dead man lying in a ditch. It is never okay for a follower of Jesus to leave a half-dead man lying in a ditch. It is never okay for a follower of Jesus to turn his or her back on somebody that's hurting. That's what I found in the heart of Jesus. So grab a Bible, if you will, and open it with me to the book of Luke, okay? 
chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 25. So the story that's in front of us is the story of the Good Samaritan. And I tried to think this week about all of my life. I think I've had this story as a part of my life. And I begin to wonder, where did I first hear the story of the Good Samaritan? And I assume that I first heard the story of the Good Samaritan probably in my first grade Sunday school class. My teacher was a lady's lady whose name was Betsy Taylor. And Betsy Taylor was a fan of the flannel graph. Now, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, but she was a fan, and she always showed us these pictures, pictures that look like the picture I'm showing you now, okay? This was the kind of picture she would bring to Sunday school. Now, the Bible says that he was robbed, he was beaten, he was stripped of his clothing, and he was half dead. This guy looks like he's in a little better shape than that, but I guess you don't want to scare the children kind of thing. The truth is that this is probably a more realistic picture of what the guy looked like when people passed by him on that road today. So let me, let me share with that image in your mind, let me share God's Word with you, beginning with verse 25. Okay, you ready? Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law. So this is a person who gives his life to try to understand what God's Word means for everyday living. Okay? He gives his life to try to understand what God's Word means for everyday living. One day, this expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the Scriptures talk about eternal life. For example, the book of Daniel, chapter 12, talks about eternal inheritance. So, since the Scripture talks about eternal life, teacher, what would I have to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus answers his question with a question. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? And so the guy answered, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and all of your mind. He's quoting part of the Shema. Uh, The Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It was what every Jew would quote the first thing they woke up in the morning. It's the last thing they would say before they went to sleep at night. And so he quotes part of the Shema and then he adds to it Leviticus chapter 18, a commandment to love your neighbor, okay? And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so Jesus gives the guy a good grade and he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You'll have this eternal life. In Jesus' mind, I think the conversation is over. I've answered your question. But he wanted to justify himself. The teacher of the law did. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Who should I befriend? And in reply, Jesus said, Well, he tells him a story, and then he answers his question with another question. There was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Uh, A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... Now these words had to sting a little bit because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, 
he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and pouring oil and wine on them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus says to the man, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who had fallen into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. He wasn't willing to say the Samaritan, but he did say the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Live like the Samaritan lived. This is God's word for us today. Amen? The question Jesus asked, who was a neighbor to him? I think it's a great question. I think it's a question sometimes that you and I kind of ask ourselves. So who, who have we seen be a neighbor? Who do you know in your life that you would say, that's, that's a good neighbor? When I came to work here four years ago, I, I immediately met a man whose name is Gerald Nance. He and his wife Connie attend the church. And... Uh, their three daughters. And if I was going to say to you, here's a really good neighbor, that's, that's who I would point to. So I brought some pictures to show you. Here's, here's some things that Gerald and Connie do in their neighborhood. This is uh, a view from a drone. Let me give you a, two more pictures that will give you an idea. What they do is they kind of work with one or two other people in making sure that the entire neighborhood gets lit up every Christmas. And so about 20 houses on their street and an adjoining street get lit up. And when you pull into the neighborhood, there's a sign and it says, tune your radio to this station. And when you tune your radio to that station, there is Christmas music playing. And as the Christmas music plays, it is to sync with the lights. And so lights are flashing like crazy. And you drive along the streets. And it's just an incredible thing. Now, when you get to a certain point, you see this sign. And the sign is simply says, food bank drop off. And so they don't charge anybody to drive through and to see the light show, but they say, why don't we collect food? And so over the last six years, they have collected five tons of food that they have donated to the Putnam City West Food Bank. And so every year they get all the food together and they take it in and they put it on the shelves of the food bank. And it's really an awesome thing that they do. Another thing that they do during playoffs, because they are Thunder, I mean, fans in a major way, they set up their driveway with a big screen and they project it onto the screen and they invite all their neighbors to come and watch the Thunder game. And so they have popcorn and they have drinks and all that kind of stuff and people just come. I mean, these folks are really good neighbors. And every Halloween they do something similar. They will bring all their neighbors to their driveway and their neighbors put notes on the door that says, come to this address and we will give you candy there. And they have hot chocolate and s'mores and large number of people camp out around a fire and they give candy away to kids as they come through the neighborhood. Now, Gerald and Connie would say, it's not all us. We've got a lot of help in this and it's all kind of a neighborhood effort, but it always happens, it seems like to me, in their driveway and, and they're just incredible neighbors. They're great neighbors. But the reason they're great neighbors is because they believe that their neighbors are very important people and that they really matter. And they see humanity through eyes 
that places a great deal of value on an individual. And what I pray that happens to us as we walk along these next few weeks together is that we're really challenged to ask ourselves the questions like, how do I view humanity? And what kind of value do I put on individual people? Even people that I would consider an enemy. So, let's dive in a bit, okay? Have you, ever, have you ever asked somebody a question like, so, wait a minute, what did you mean by that? And have they ever responded to you by saying, what do you think I meant by that? And what they're doing is they're answering a question with a question, right? Sometimes people ask me, why do you always answer my questions with a question? And I always say, why not? <laughs> oh. I'm dying up here, man. I'm just dying. I'm just, you're going to bury me. Not making it today. Jesus was a master. One day, some people came to Jesus, and here's what they said to him. They said, uh, Jesus, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Is morally that right? Is that the right thing to do? And Jesus takes a coin, and he holds up the coin, and he answers their question with a question. And he says, whose image is on the coin? And they say, well, that's Caesar's image on the coin. And Jesus says, well, then, give Caesar what is Caesar's and give God what is God's. And you want to say, Jesus, just drop the mic and walk out of the building. You nailed it, right? Incredible. He was a master at it. And so this guy comes to Jesus and he says, I want to ask you a question. What would I have to do if I want to have eternal life? And Jesus answers his question with a question. What does the law say? And so he kind of quotes a summary of the law, the Shema, in Leviticus 18. And Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. But the guy was not happy because he was trying to catch Jesus in a trap. He was testing Jesus. And what he really wanted to do is kind of smoke Jesus out on a very important issue to the Jewish people of the day. And that is... What is the message you are preaching about how God sees everybody who lives? Because we Jews are pretty convinced that God sees us in a little better light than everybody else. And in his mind, Jesus was preaching heresy. And so he asked another question. Who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus, I love this about him. He had a way of taking heady theological conversations and translating them into everyday life. And so that's what he does. Did you guys see the news this week where down on Northwest Expressway, that bridge collapsed at May Avenue? How many of you saw that? I'm, everybody in the room maybe? I'm telling you, how many times have you driven under that bridge? I mean, I, I've lived here four years. I don't know how many times. All of us, I think at some point, are going to drive Northwest Expressway, right? We understand that road very well. And it's just amazing that somebody wasn't right behind that person who hit the bridge with that big piece of machinery that brought it down. And it would have fallen on them as well. Or, my goodness, what if you were driving along May Avenue and you just, you know, kind of boom. I mean, your life would have ended there. See, what I just did is what Jesus did. Jesus took something that everybody knew very well. 
He talked about a piece of road that everybody had traveled often and they knew all about it. And he talked about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you look at a map, you would say, okay, it looks like to me on the map that you're, you're going up to Jericho and Jesus says he was going down to Jericho. That's because typographically, Jerusalem is highly elevated and when you leave Jerusalem, you're going down to wherever you go, okay? And so a 17-mile desert road and it was known to be a road that could be dangerous, all right? And so Jesus says he is going along and the guy gets robbed. Monday, I just jumped in my car to leave the office. It was lunchtime, and my phone rings, and it was my wife, Annette. And she says to me, she says, uh, Rick, I cannot get the garage door open. And I said, I'm in my car. I'll head that way. And so I just turned around, and I went home, and sure enough, the garage door would not open. You just push the button, and it just kind of makes some noises, and that's it. And so um, we pulled the lever. We got the garage door up, got the car out so she could get on her way, got the garage door back down. And uh, Gerald Nance, who is a really good neighbor to a lot of people, said, I'll come over and look at your garage door. And he came over and he said, the spring is broken. You can't fix that yourself. You could kill yourself. You should call somebody. And so I go online and I just call the first number that says, we will fix your garage door. And so a guy comes out to my house that night, 645. And he says, Sure, I can fix this. Let me, let me get the numbers together. I'll get an estimate for you. We had extended family there eating dinner. And go back in and I'll, I'll come and knock on the door. And so in a few minutes, he knocks on the door and he says, I've got it for you right here. He's got an iPad. He's got all the numbers together. He's showing me that's going to be for two springs. It's what we recommend because both of them are the same age. If one is broken, another could break. So we're going to recommend that you replace them both for $893. And I called him by name. He was a super nice guy. He was really kind. He was very friendly. And I said, do people actually pay this price? And he said, absolutely. I said, could I not buy a brand new door and have it installed for about that same amount of money? He says, probably not. I said, close. He goes, I don't know. I said, let me ask you another question. What would it cost me for you to not do the work if you just left. And he said, $39.95. I said, I'll go get you a check. And so I went and I got a check for him and I gave it to him. And he was super kind and he was so nice and he was friendly and he answered every question I had. The only problem I had with him was that he was trying to rob me in my own garage. The next morning I called Doug Adams and I said, Doug, here's what happened. He says, no, 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 call this guy. And I called the guy up and I said, I've got two springs that need to be replaced on a double garage door. What would that cost me? And he said, well, it's expensive. I said, I'm beginning to figure that out. How much? He goes, $199 tax and all. I'm telling you, the guy tried to rob me in my own garage. (laughs) He came and fixed it and we were good to go. And so Jesus says... On the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, there were also some other bandits. I don't know that that guy was a bandit. I think maybe he was just working for a bandit. And he was robbed. They even stripped him of his clothes and stole them because clothes were valuable. And they beat him half to death. They left him half dead. And Jesus says, you get the picture? You see the guy laying on the road that I showed you on the screen a moment ago? 
Well, some people start passing by. A priest comes by. But when the priest comes by, you know what he does? He passes on the other side. He makes sure he doesn't get anywhere close to this guy. And then a Levite, he passes. He does the same thing. He passes on the other side. Now, here's the deal. They were both officials of the temple. And if you touched a corpse, you deemed yourself impure. And you had to go through the ceremonial process of being made clean again before you could go back into the temple. These guys are saying, I don't know if the guy's dead or alive, but I know that my life is all about loving God, serving in the temple, worshiping Him. I'm not going to do anything that puts me in a position that says, maybe I can't do that this week. So I'm not getting close to the guy. Too many personal stories in a sermon, but we sent our little Sadie back home on Tuesday morning early. Like, got her at the airport at 6.30. Her little granddaughter had spent a week with us. As they're walking through the metal detector and Annette and I are standing as close to them as we can without getting arrested by security, Sadie turns around and over her shoulder does her hand like this and says, Bye, Ricky. Bye, Nettie. And we just stood there in a puddle. When she was at our house this last week, it was, it was awesome because she would sometimes get a little tired maybe. A lot of people were there the whole time, you know, and sometimes she would just bring a phone or a book or a toy and just come walking toward me. I'm sitting there and she would just hold out her arms and I would pull her up in my lap and she would just sit there and play. I got pictures of that if you want to see it, by the way. (laughs) I kept saying, take a picture. You, You know how much I love that kid? Two years old. It's easy to love the people who love you back. But Jesus says a Samaritan passed by. And Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. It's a long story. In the 700s, Assyria invaded that part of Israel where Ephraim and Manasseh was kind of hanging out. Those two tribes take a lot of them off to Assyria put a lot of people back in their place. That's what they would do in those days. And the Israelites who were left began to intermarry some and began to get a little interconnected in religion. And the Jews said, you have intermarried with pagan nations. You're not really Jews. You claim to worship Yahweh, but your religion is mixed. You're a mixed race and you're a mixed religion. And we have nothing to do with you. They hated them. In fact, when a Jew would go from Judea to Galilee, Samaria's in between, they would cross the Jordan River and go around. They wouldn't even go through Samaria. Jesus says a Samaritan comes by. The people you hate, the people you loathe. And he goes to the Jewish guy. And he has pity on him. 
And he gets down and he puts oil and wine on his wounds and he cares for him and he puts him on his own donkey and he takes him to an inn. And when he gets him to the inn, he takes care of him there. And then when he has to go, he pays the guy to keep him for two more weeks because remember, he's half dead, right? So he's, he's in trouble. It's going to take a while. And when I come back through, if there's any more that it's cost, I will pay the tab. And then Jesus looks at the expert in the law and says, you tell me who was a neighbor. And he says, the one who had mercy on him. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Anybody who has need is your neighbor. I think Jesus is saying to us today, I think you guys have about 7.4 billion neighbors. Because I've never met anybody in my life who didn't have a need. Physical, financial, emotional, spiritual, everybody has needs. Here's what I think the real question is. What does it mean to be Israel? What does it mean to be the people of God? Just for fun, I got online and I think about how much Jesus has influenced our world. And I begin to wonder about this parable that Jesus told and how much of an impact it's had. And here's what I found. I found an organization called Samaritan's Purse. It's a world relief organization. I I found many, I mean many, many, many ministries called Good Samaritan Ministries or Samaritan Ministries. I don't mean like one or two, I mean like lots. I found Good Samaritan Health Systems. I found Good Samaritan Health Services. I found Good Samaritan Health Care. I found Good Samaritan Hospitals. Many Good Samaritan Hospitals. I found Good Samaritan Shops, like resale shops. I found Good Samaritan Counseling Services and Good Samaritan Houses and Inns, like halfway houses and rehab houses. I found Good Samaritan Community Centers and Good Samaritan Family Resource Centers. And it just went on and on and on. This parable that Jesus told has affected so much the way we think as a nation and as a world. You understand, Jesus is the most influential person who has ever lived in the history of the world. And and 2,000 years ago, he told a story. Think about this. He told a story, and it's changed the way that we think. It's our roots. Today you came to a church of the Nazarene. Every time I do membership class... And you should come if you want to know more about what we believe as a church. Every time I do membership class, I start by asking a question. We are the church of the Nazarene. Why do you think we call ourselves the church of the Nazarene? Why do you think we do? And every time somebody raises their hand and says, I know the answer to that. And I call on them. And they say, because Jesus was from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. So we are followers of Jesus the Nazarene, so we are the church of Jesus the Nazarene. And I tell them that's what I thought for years and years and years until I read a church historian, Tim Smith, who reminds us of the day that Philip talks to Nathaniel about Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel laughs and says, Could any good thing come from Nazareth? And the reason he said it is because Nazareth was a peasant 
village. Nazareth was where poor people lived. Nazareth was the marginalized of society. Nazareth was filled with the people that everybody else has disregarded. And the founders of our church one day said, we want to be the church of the poor. We want to be the church for the marginalized. We want to be the church that everybody else has disregarded. We want to be the church of the Nazarene. At 9.15 this morning, a church service started just two miles north of us in a community called Two Lakes. In the community of Two Lakes, there are some people there who are hurting. Paul and Beth Wetmore, Rod and Kelly Bowie, Andy and Sherry Ketchum, and Thaddeus and Lorraine Black, and maybe a few others, were at Two Lakes. And they were saying, by God's grace, we're going to be the church of the Nazarene. And it is never okay for a follower of Jesus to leave a half-dead man lying in a ditch. And it is never okay for a follower of Jesus to turn their back on someone who is hurting. Now, you want to know the rest of the truth? There are people in Nichols Hills who are hurting. And there are people in Gallardia who are hurting. That's the truth. Who do you know that doesn't have a need? The fact of the matter is that you're going to bump into somebody on your way out of these doors this morning who has some really deep needs in their life. How do you view humanity? Of all the people that you will make eye contact with today, how do you see them? Jesus calls us to be like the Good Samaritan and to never turn our back on someone who is hurting. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together? We'll sing before we go, all right? And uh, after we sing, I'll, I'll ask God's blessings on you in the form of a, of a benediction. But let me, let me pray for you now. Father, over these next few weeks, we open our hearts to you and we ask you to speak to us. And so here's, here's a commitment that I make and I ask others to make with me that my heart will be open, my mind will be open, my ears will be open to hear what you have to say. But I pray that you'll make us really good neighbors. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
so this is the prayer that I pray for us, and, and I would love to leave you with this blessing today, and that is simply this, that God would give us the grace, you and I, to be the neighbors that He has called us to be. Amen? Amen. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.